Hi, and welcome to episode 93 of the Crafty Planner podcast. My name is Sandy Hazelwood, and I will be your host. Through the podcast, I share the stories of makers in our community to inspire you on your own creative journey. Today's episode is sponsored by Quilty Box. Since 2013, Quilty Box has delivered quilting inspiration to your door every month. Featured artists help curate a collection of the latest fabrics, newest products, and best designs. Treat yourself to a monthly surprise at quiltybox.com. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to talk about two things. First, my goal for the podcast has always been to inspire people to pursue their creative interest by sharing how others have navigated their own journey. Hopefully, after 90 episodes, it is clear that there is not one right path, but instead the best path is the one that fits you. I would like to know what inspires you to make and what I can do to help you connect with your own journey. If you have a few minutes, I would appreciate either an email or you could write me a comment on my Instagram account. My email address is sandi at craftyplanner.com, sandy at craftyplanner.com, and I am also at craftyplanner on Instagram. For the second thing, I wanted to let you know that the podcast will be on a break for the next two weeks, and I will return on Thursday, December 1st with my guest, Carolyn Friedlander. For today's episode, my guest is Tammy Silvers of Tamarini's. With over 20 years of sewing experience, Tammy is a pattern and fabric designer, wife, and mother. Tammy talks about her love for batik fabrics and her upcoming line with Island Batiks, along with her tips for a successful sewing project and what she included in her quilty box. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Tammy. Good morning. I am so thrilled to be here with you. And I am so thrilled that you are with me. (laughs) So let's start with tell me about your creative journey. My creative journey. Oh, my goodness. So, I mean, if you want to go back, 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 I grew up in a family of makers. I mean, my grandmother sewed, my mother sewed. It's it's kind of just what we did. We weren't really quilters. My grandmother made clothing. And then she took my mother's dresses and cut them down to make me dresses and that kind of, so that's kind of the environment I grew up in. Um, But then quilting, I actually have to credit my sister-in-law for because she drug me to a quilt store and said, take a quilt class with me. I got to confess, I really didn't want to, was not on my agenda, not really on my radar. I took the class, made the ugliest quilt probably ever known to man. And, um, and yet I don't know why, but I persevered and, um, I took another class. It was a sampler class. And, um, after that, it was like Katie bar the door. I took every class I could get my hands on, tried different techniques, just really exploring, you know, what was out there and had successes, had failures, but, um, after that, I was I was hooked. I got bitten by the bug. I am a quilting fanatic now. <laughs> and that was in 1991 that you started quilting, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Year my daughter was born. So <laughs> was that what inspired that first quilt was making your daughter a quilt? Actually, my daughter did not have a quilt made for her until she went to college. <laughs> I'm sad, right? <laughs> but that's just the way things worked out. 
<laughs> it's funny. It either seems like it's one extreme or the other. Like you start because you're trying to make something for your children or you start and then your children get made something much later. <laughs> right. And that's exactly her case. Much, much later. <laughs> it's funny. So you said that how many children do you have? Oh, I've got two. My daughter um, is the youngest. So, and my son is four and a half years older. And he got his first quilt. Huh. I'm trying to think now. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was much later than that. <laughs> but, but yeah, they, uh, they've grown up with me. Actually, interestingly enough, I think it's interesting. Um, in the process of me taking all of these quilt classes, he did a mommy and me quilt class with me. And it was so cute because I remember taking him to the quilt shop and him looking around and he's like, "Mm, no, he was about 10 or 12 at the time. Didn't see any fabric that he liked. So he actually, I was like, that's okay. You still want to take the class. So we got muslin and we got fabric markers and he drew his own, um, designs on those muslin squares and then we got fabric to coordinate with it so he kind of was a fabric designer long before mom was so (laughs) yeah funny when I think about it well and at one point you had a partnership too with outside the lines design so when did you decide to start moving into patterns so that I kind of fell into kind of organically as well I was going back to school to get my teaching certificate And quilting seemed like a good avenue to make money. I was like, well, I quilt, so I can teach. Of course I can. So I started teaching classes and I had um, some groups of ladies that were following me. And we had exhausted all of the corporate classes because I was teaching at a chain store. And I started coming up with projects for them. And then One of the girls happened to work next door to one of the magazine editors. Hey, I've got this friend um, that's designing these great projects. And so she started publishing. Um, The partnership was formed with a a former student and just kind of grew from there. We're publishing. Hey, we can design patterns and let's publish those patterns. And yeah, it just kind of it wasn't like I had this grand plan just kind of (laughs) happened. And now you have Tamarini's, which are your own patterns. Correct. So tell me about the business name. Okay. I get asked that question a lot and I guess I really need to come up with a better answer. (laughs) (laughs) The the honest answer is um, years ago when I started setting up my email, I didn't want it to be Tammy Silvers, which is what a lot of people did or T Silvers. So I And I have no idea. I just came up with Tamarini's and that's been my email. And I was like, you know what? It really isn't anything and it isn't anyone. And it is me. So sounds like a good name for a pattern company. (laughs) So (laughs) I wish there were a better story behind it, some symbolism or something, but that's just what it is. It's me. Was it ever a nickname? It wasn't. Um, my aunt used to call me Ragmop and she used to sing a little song, you know, R-A-G-G-M-O-P-P, Ragmop. And I was like, oh, that would be so cute if I could do that as a as a pattern line, but it doesn't really suit my aesthetic. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and you design 
quite a variety of patterns. You know, you have beginner-friendly patterns, you have applique, paper piecing, three-dimensional, you have block of the month clubs. You have to be honest now. What is your favorite pattern to design? I really love dimensional. Um, I just love going from the flat surface to the dimensional. And I've always um, explored art. I have done batiking, um, was a, a, a floor loom weaver, and then did, of course, cross stitch and, and other arts growing up. But um, I love the dimensional and I have a lot of fun with that. Plus, it's nice sometimes to step away from the piecing and the pressing to do something that has a little bit more texture, a little, a little bit something different. Well, let's talk about what's in your quilty box, because I think that relates really well to your three-dimensionality, which sometimes is baffling. It's kind of like, I feel like two impediments that somebody who starts out as a quilter have is three dimensions and garments, right? Like, even though it's all kind of in the world of sewing, but it's still a little, you know, well, I guess garments are three-dimensional, right? I mean, we're, we're building for bodies. So anything that isn't flat can sometimes be intimidating. But in your quilty box... You've designed your own pattern that makes both a quilt box and uh, a quilt and a poof. So can you talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. I thought this was a great opportunity to give people a chance to try something a little different. So the project uses pre-cuts and two different uh, main fabrics to create the sashings and the background but they can use the same block in a traditional layout and make a nice, adorable, she says modestly, um, <laughs> quilt. Or they can take those same blocks and in a slightly different configuration, create a quilted ottoman. And a, a friend of mine said, well, it's not really a poof, it's more of an ottoman. But um, it does give an opportunity to try something a little more dimensional and kind of a twofer. I love bonuses. It's functional. This is a large, very comfortably sized floor ottoman um, that you can certainly use in, in any room. So uh, it, it's actually very easy to construct. I would encourage people to, to try it. Don't be afraid of it. And, and I'm not going to lie. It was my, floor, my first floor poof ottoman, whatever you want to call it. Um, and hey, if I can do it, I know other people can do it. So in the box, you also have 10 inch squares and we're going to, I want to talk to you a little bit more about batiks overall, but you've also got some felt and you've got some RFL and you've got some mini soak in the new pineapple groves scent, which I dying to smell, like seriously dying to smell. <laughs> so will the 10 inch pack then be able to get the pattern done completely other than the sashing? Oh, absolutely. Um, the the pattern, they'll need two base fabrics that create the sashings between the blocks, mm -hmm. but those 10-inch squares will make all of the blocks, plus they'll have a couple left over. So it's certainly generous and it's easy. And the nice thing about getting to choose your two fabrics for the sashing is you can choose 
what is going to work best for you. I use a really light blue and a <clears throat> darker blue that has that pulls a lot of the colors in. But if you gravitate towards yellows or oranges, or if you really want it to be purpley, you can definitely affect the overall look of the quilt just by doing that. And it, it allows you to personalize it a little bit, which I think is awesome because Every quilt that we make is an expression of us, right? So we can, I think it's great when you have the opportunity to make it, make it your own. Well, you've been working with Island Batiks for quite a while now. What, what do you love about Batiks? Oh my gosh, what do I not love about Batiks? Okay, so <laughs> first of all, the win-win for a Batik is that for the most part, there is no wrong size, uh, mm -hmm. wrong side, sorry. So you don't have the problem that you have with print fabric of right sides together versus wrong sides together. For the most part, there is no wrong side or right side. So that's awesome. Batiks have a tighter weave because they start with a higher thread count fabric. So you don't have the issue with uh, blocks stretching out of shape, which can be a good or a bad thing. Um, if you need a little bit of give, sometimes you, you just don't have that with batiks. But for the most part, I think for most of us, we struggle with a fabric stretching out of shape and suddenly our block is wonky or it's it's curving where it's not supposed to. And then there's just the color saturation. I mean, even a pastel is is rich and vivid and a bright is 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 just is so saturated you feel like you could dive into it. Um, so that's one of the like I said, what's there not to love about batiks, but that is <laughs> That is definitely three of my favorite things about batiks. Do you still use starch then when you are working with batiks? Or do you use starch, I guess? I don't. Um, I, I do use Best Press when I'm working with print fabrics. And I am a pressing fanatic. When people take my classes, I tell them I'm really laid back. I'm easygoing. It's your project. If you're happy, I'm happy. But when we get to the ironing board, it's a little different story. I am a pressing fanatic. Um, so I believe that any project is going to look 100% better if it's correctly pressed. And therefore, like I said, when I use print fabrics, because they're a slightly looser weave, I do use best press to get that nice flat press. Typically with batiks, all I need is steam because of that tighter weave. Okay, so you use steam then? I do use steam and I know you're not supposed to, but I guess I'm a rebel. Well, it's so funny because I was going to ask in your mind is correctly pressing, pressing open or pressing to the side. For the most part, most blocks I'm going to press to the side because mm -hmm. that's still going to give me the ability if I wanted to, to quilt in the ditch. Cause once you press open, you're committed to any quilting except stitch in the ditch. Mm -hmm. And I'll admit, I have a quilting fairy that quilts most of my <laughs> projects. I don't quilt my own projects. So although I did quilt the floor ottoman because that's how it's designed, you know, it's very beginner friendly. Um, so I like to have the ability to stitch in the ditch with my smaller projects mm -hmm. because I may not want to go out and be wild and, and do free motion quilting. So did you help design Seafoam then for Island Batiks? Well, Seafoam is the no, pattern. The, I was thinking the fabric line. Sorry. Oh, Seashore. The pattern Seashore. line. 
Yes, Fisor is the is the fabric line. I did not. Kathy Engel is the master behind most of their design. So that's definitely her creative genius. That's amazing. I'm just curious about the design process of a batik fabric versus a print. I'm more familiar with a print process, you know, but a batik, I'm wondering if it's, um, you know, like how the colors are sort of chosen and that, you know, the whatever you're using as the resist. So just curious about that process. Yeah. So I do know that you do have to choose what your background is going to be and what the the image that you see is called the chop. Mm. And so you do have to choose those combinations. So you have to choose what's going to be the background and what's going to be the chop. Mm. And it's harder than you would think. You would think, oh, it'd be pretty easy. But but then you have to think what draw, and it's going to be different for different people, but what draws you to a batik? And I think a lot of people are drawn to batiks because um, a lot of them have that kind of modeled background. It's not just a, like if it's red, it's not a solid red. It may be variations of red, or it might be red mixed with yellows and oranges, or it's got a little purple shot through it that you typically don't get with a print. So it gives it a more dimensional aspect. And that's where I think the the genius comes in and the challenge comes in is choosing those combinations that create a background and or create that chop or that image. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to me because I feel like walking into a quilt store, I'm drawn to color before I'm almost drawn to the print itself, you know, it's like, does that color um, interest me? Am I like, what is that over there? I like walk to that <laughs> specific one. So I kind of wonder if it's the same thing with the petite designers that they're looking at colors first, you know, and then kind of backgrounds are, and I've been calling it the resist. I'm not sure if that's the right maybe chop is the well, right that is word, the, the, so. yeah the, that is the batik process so um I, I mentioned i used to do batiks but i didn't do batik fabric i would do a i would create an elaborate um wall hanging so it was a very involved design but it was a single image and the resist is what is what creates that uh image on the the fabric because you have the chop and then it's going, you're right. There is going to be a resist. Now, little, um, inside information. I have a fab. I have my own line coming out that I did design with Island Batik in the spring. So mm. spring 17, I have my, my first line coming out with Island Batik. And, um, like I said, that's why I said it, it, it was harder than I thought choosing the background combinations to the print combinations. Um, and I guess because I designed it, I was so focused on my motifs, my chops, but then I also have to consider, like you said, people are drawn to color and it's, it's interesting. It would be interesting to do a survey to see what quilters say, are they drawn to color first or are they drawn to motif first? And it would also be interesting to see if that varies from print, you know, from print to batik. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that is true. I mean, there are definitely times when if I'm making something specifically for somebody like a Star Wars fan or something, then I'm going for the print. But, you know, if I'm going for a quilt, I feel like most of the time it's color because I'm not making personally, I'm not making print themed quilts, you know, um, so it may be even project specific. Right. 
Right. Yeah. It would be interesting. I ha- that, that's, a, that's a good thought. I may, I may have to do that. <laughs> so how would you describe your style? Um, yeah, I've been asked that question a lot too. Um, I think my personal style, if I design something just based on my personal preferences, it's going to be crisp, clean. I, I have more of a modern aesthetic. Uh, I wouldn't say it's hardcore modern though, but I design for, you know, fabric companies and for magazines and then for my line. And so I think that's why my style ranges. I have some traditional, um, I have some contemporary, I have some kind of folksy. So, and I know you love chickens. Yes, I do. Again, don't know why. They just make me smile. Love chickens. (laughs) (laughs) You had this great blog post and it was like the 10 steps to prepare for quilting. And I really loved it. I mean, what motivated you to write it? And can we talk a little bit more about the steps? Because I, I just read it and I was like, I do some of these things and don't even think about it. And other ones I'm like, I've never thought about. And then I'm like kicking myself in the middle of a project. Yeah. So, okay. So I do have a blog that I sadly neglect most of the time, I will admit. And I'm thinking, okay, I want to write a blog post and I really want to provide a service to my readers. I don't want it to be just a sales pitch. Obviously as a designer, I want people to go out and buy my patterns. That would be completely awesome if they bought me out, you know, pattern after pattern after pattern, that would be terrific. But it's like, you know, really, if I go on the web and I'm looking for something, I'm looking for help. And I'm like, so what could I help them with? And it's that, that was the, and I, I was looking at my disaster of the quilting room and I was getting ready to start a new project. And I'm like, Hey, you know, here are the steps that, that I do to ensure a successful project. So what if I broke that down for other people? Because sometimes the most obvious thing is the thing we overlook, right? Those things that are right in front of us. And some of those things, like you said, some things you may do and some things you're like, oh, I never really thought about that. But yeah, that makes perfect sense. So that's what was the um, driving force behind that is what, how could I help other people have a successful quilt project? Well, if I can just briefly talk about them. One was like clean your ironing service, uh, surface or have a clean ironing surface, which having just ironed over some plastic and then forgetting about it and coming back to it was a very memorable step for me. <laughs> uh, and then choosing a needle, which I, or having the right needle in and making sure that you have a new one, I think is really important because I've have a lot of friends who are self-taught. And so they're looking at tutorials online about how to do something, but they're not necessarily getting the full picture of like, what are you going to do over time? And they'll say, Hey, my tension's off. Like what's wrong? And I'm like, did you change your needle? What needle are you using? And I've learned the lesson going from like a blue jeans project, you know, making blue jeans to then going to a quilt and going, Oh, I need a change, you know? So I think that's was very important. Uh, it is. It's a, and it's such a little thing. And let's be honest, needles are probably one of the least expensive tools that we use, right? Mm-hmm. And yet they have such an impact on our overall project. And 
it, it's easy to forget eight hours of sewing is not actually that long. Mm-hmm. When you stop and think about how long a lot of projects take you, eight hours of sewing is not a long time, but just changing out that needle. So you've got a good sharp needle. And like you said, the right size needle, because if you're sewing regular quilting fabric and you've got that 9014 or that 116 needle in, it's huge and it could be pulling on your fabric or, uh, yeah, it's just the wrong size for the project. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it makes a huge difference and it's such a little thing. Well, and then you talked about cleaning and, re- and possibly replacing your rotary blade, which I thought was important. And a good, yes. tip, good yeah. tip for quilters or for garment sewers, you know, because garment sewers are using rotary cutters more often. And they may not realize that if they've come from sort of the scissor only world, <laughs> you know, where you're not making changes to your scissors often. Oh, absolutely. And I'll be in class and I see a student that's sawing, you know, going back and forth with their rotary cutter. And it's like, how old is that blade? Mm, two years, three years. Oh, my, oh my goodness. It happens. It happens. We all know it happens. I mean, come on, we all do that. But it should just cut through that fabric like butter. And that's the whole purpose of the rotary cutter is to make our our jobs easier. So yeah, another another thing um, that is, it's a little more expensive than the needles, but so important. Yeah. Well, and then you have locating clean scissors, which I thought was really good. Um, have your pins in order. And I almost thought of like also having the right pins, which I've realized is also pretty important recently. Yes. And good pins. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. There is such a difference if you if you've never had good pins versus the really cheap pins, you know, you buy those sewers kits that have a little bit of everything. And those pins, once you use a really good quality pin, going back to those pins that you feel like you're trying to stick a nail through your fabric because good pins are thin and sharp, have, you know, it have that nice point that's going to not pick your threads, but actually enable you to pin and lay flat. So nice. You're so right. Good pins. Absolutely. (laughs) And then you had clean the machine, which, (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah, sometimes that doesn't happen. (laughs) Yep. 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 Your machine's going to last longer. It's going to sew better. You're going to get better stitches. Yeah. And I I like the last ones because it was really like wind extra bobbins, which I'm like, yes, duh. I hate having to stop and and wind more. Um, Gather your notions, which is I don't want to tell you how many times I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't have interfacing, you know, when I'm in the middle of the project, which kind of stinks. And get your rulers ready or whatever cutting, you know, assistance you're going to need in cutting and then just be ready. And I just thought, you know what, those are some really good tips that I think beginners, but also seasoned quilters could stand to remember. Oh, absolutely. Because I'm as guilty as the next person of being super excited about my next project. And I just want to dive in and start that project. But it's really frustrating when you discover 15 minutes after all the stores have closed that you're missing, like you said, that interfacing, or you need some fusible, or you need a specific ruler and you can't find it because it's buried (laughs) under (laughs) something, or you left it at a friend's house or whatever. So yeah, absolutely. Well, and you've just returned from quilt market. So what were some of the trends that you saw when you were there? Oh 
my goodness. So Quilt Market, for those that have never been, is sensory overload and just quilting on steroids. <laughs> so it's, it, it's a tremendous experience, but it's also somewhat overwhelming. So one of the things now, and of course, I'm going to tie it back into what I'm doing, but um, for those of you that are doing the Quilty Box, you're going to get that tremendously awesome ottoman pattern the floor ottomans um and home deck is still really really popular tuffets are all over the place so if you're into that see this project is going to fall right into that but i saw tuffets everywhere um i didn't really look at fabric trends i'll be honest with you um i was kind of focused on the tools there are some great rulers that i saw out there was one i can't remember the name of it i want to say curve it's curvy something it creates it's a it's a tremendous ruler that does these awesome curves and then she's got patterns that support it and it's something different it's taking us away from just the straight lines and enabling us to do something more fun something um a little more organic and i think that a lot of people are afraid of curved lines but they're drawn to them because that's the world we live in. I mean, that's the the organic side of it. Um, I know that thread lines are continue to continuing to expand, and Orfield came out with an eighty weight. And y'all know, right, that the bigger the number, the smaller the thread, right? So, like a twelve weight is a really heavy thread. So an 80 weight is a really fine thread. So for those of you that do needle turn, this is going to be that really fine thread that's going to enable you to get those practically invisible seams. So that's tremendous. And of course, I'm a huge fan of, of Aurifil. Um, What else did I see? I'm trying to think. Oh, so one thing that I have seen and it's continuing to grow, are these small project clubs. So some people are doing table runner clubs. And then a friend of mine just came out with a, um, she calls it POM, P-O-M, Project of the Month. So it's 12 different small projects. And I'm seeing a lot of quilters. We all love to make quilts, but let's be real. We're all working and we've got family and just life. And but we still want to create. And so I think small projects are definitely seeing a resurgence, the minis and then the small projects. And because that gives us the opportunity to sew without that commitment of weeks or months tied into a project. Did you notice any trends about color? I saw, and again, this was, I wasn't, going down the aisles looking specifically at this, but I did see a lot of the topes. And I know those are still very popular in Europe, um, that they've always gravitated toward the topes. But I did see, it, it seemed like just in walking by boots and everything, I saw a lot of the neutrals and the, and the topes, um, that more subdued color palette. And I'm always fascinated by the, how the pendulum swings. You know, we go to neutrals and then we swing back over to the fluorescence. And, um, oh, so one other trend I did notice. I saw through a lot of the boots, the 
comic book style, the Comic-Con, I think uh, anime is definitely having an influence across a lot of the manufacturers. So whether it's a licensed comic or just that comic book look or the anime, I did see a lot of that. So in your 25 years of quilting, yeah, um, <laughs> so what the heck? <laughs> yeah, you started when you were one, right? Um, <laughs> what tell me about your most favorite project that I've ever done? See, I needed these questions ahead of time so I could study my <laughs> most favorite project. Okay, so I don't know if I can say it's a specific project, but I can say a specific technique. Mm -hmm. I love fusing. Mm. I think fusible is the bomb. I think that whoever invented it deserves a Nobel Prize (laughs) because it makes so many things possible. Now, interestingly enough, one of the classes I took early on when I was a I can say I was a class slut. I was. I just took every (laughs) class. I'm like, sign me up. Was this, um, there was this little book and it was all of these little like 14 inch wall hangings that were kind of patchworky style, but then you fused your motifs on top of them and you could do it for different holidays. And I was guilty of what I think a lot of us are. I took a class, I did it and I'm like, I'm going to make wall hangings for everybody for Christmas. And I go home and I'm like, I know what I'm doing. And I put the fusible on the right right side of the fabric, which meant that when I tried to fuse it onto the project, (laughs) I'm seeing the wrong side of the fabric. So it was that whole, I got this, I know what I'm doing and not paying attention to detail. And as we know, detail is everything, but I still love fusible projects and I do a lot of applique. I do a lot of faux curves, but it's all fused, baby, because (laughs) I got like 10 seconds to get that project done and move on to the next one. And fusing lets me do that. So I got to say, I love fusible projects. What else have you noticed has changed in the industry in the time that you've been involved? I think that, and again, this is not scientific research, but when I first started, so many of the projects were a traditional grid layout. Mm. There wasn't a lot that was freestyle other than crazy quilts. Um, And now, thanks partially to the modern quilt movement, we're seeing a lot of layouts that are not a grid style, that the blocks are not traditionally pieced, they're not traditionally laid out, um, that there's alternative piecing techniques now, and there's just, there's so much more variety and application to it. And again, I could be completely wrong, that could be just my narrow perspective of it, but that's what I see. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate your experiences and all of your fun patterns. So I can't wait to get our quilty box. I hope everyone loves their quilty box. And I hope that when they make their projects, they're going to share pictures because I love seeing people's interpretations, what they've done with it, because it's, it's just so much fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tammy. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for listening and to Quilty Box for sponsoring this episode. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can leave a review or subscribe for the latest episodes on either iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. 
You can also donate to the podcast through my website, craftyplanner.com, under the link for podcasts on the top of the page. There are also show notes from today's episode. I really hoped you enjoyed this episode, and until December 1st, stay crafty, my friends. <music>